Recess recreated the cocktails you know and love, like a lime margarita and a grapefruit Paloma, but without the alcohol. So you can enjoy the flavors and feelings of your favorite drinks without the hangover. Each lightly sparkling canned mocktail is infused with functional ingredients and made with real fruit, all with only 25 calories or less. So whether you're relaxing after work or hanging out with friends, Recess Zero Proof Craft Mocktails are a guilt-free way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash mocktails now to get 15% off the Recess Mocktail Sampler Pack. Talk Recorded live. Very nice call in. Hello, everyone. This is Weldon Johnson. Welcome to a special Olympic marathon trial, one month out edition of Let's Run.com's Track Talk. I'm joined by Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson and Let's Run.com Jonathan Galt. Welcome, everyone. How you doing, Weldon? Doing well, doing well. Um, and we're, we're going to have some cool audio today from uh, Kevin Hansen, hopefully, hopefully some audio from Dina Castor and Ryan Hall. But uh, the man of the hour is going to be a man who may not even be running the Olympic marathon trials, but we feel like he's a, a great uh, person to join us on our special trials edition podcast, and that's uh, American hopeful Chris Derrick. Chris will be joining us in a um, few minutes, but I think he may be here. Well, then he may have called in. I'm not sure. Chris, Chris, can you hear us? Yep, I'm here. Oh wow, even better. We can just, you know, get right down uh, to it. Um, but sort of, it, it's I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not an athlete, but it's kind of hard to believe that the women's trials are already here. It's already 2016, and they're only one month away. It's going to be a huge year, and um, let's run.com and sort of, I, I can't imagine sort of what, what Chris is thinking right now, but Chris, um, welcome. Um, thank you for joining us. We know you sort of like podcasts in general, and we really appreciate you, uh, giving us the time today, even if you may or may not be running the trials. Um, so I guess sort of just, you know, start off, tell us where you stand with the trials next month. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, so yeah, so we decided to kind of do the training, um, to, you know, give the, give the trial a shot, um, you know, partly because we think that in the long term, we think the marathon will be my best event, um, or at least we think there's a possibility. Obviously, um, you know, the marathon's a little harder to predict than other events. Um, and we kind of, you know, the way we normally train this time of year anyway is, is very uh, aerobic, you know, long aerobic workouts focused. Um, and so we felt like there was kind of, uh, a somewhat minimal risk um, in terms of in terms of making a go at it. Um, you know, I mean, sort of the worst case scenario is you know I go out there and it, it goes badly, and I I don't know I I've never done that other race, but I you know if I if it goes really badly at twenty mile twenty miles or whatever, I drop out and I had a hard long run and I can go get ready for the track, um, which isn't to you know minimize the importance of the race or anything. Um, that's kind of that was kind of our mindset going in. Like you know, this this could this if uh, you know there's only so many Olympic years, and if this is going to be you know possibly my best event, we should we should take as many chances um, as we can. So um, still still kind of just doing the training, and um, you know got a, a, a key workout coming up, and we'll kind of 
judge based off that and health and all those other things um, to see if it makes the most sense uh, in the long run. I think a key phrase you said there is, you know, there's only so many Olympic years. Uh, did, did your experience four years ago sort of, you know, maybe shape your decision to, to try or think about trying, you know, doing the Olympic marathon trials because you, know, you were fourth to the 10K and it's, it's so close, but it's yet so far away from the Olympics. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, that in that experience was, was I think, very instructive just in that um, I don't think I really went for it in terms of the way I structured my season. Um, you know, I still doubled at conference, and actually that's, you know, when I ended up kind of hurting my foot, and then I kind of went into the trials, and I had had these six weeks of, you know, really bad plantar fasciitis and not great training and just feeling tired and not, uh, you know, just basically feeling really down um, and just basically wanting to not run terrible. Um, and then I ran and I ran whatever, 2740, and I got fourth. And then kind of the, the next day, I mean, not even that day, kind of the next day I was like, wow, I was really close to making an Olympic team. I probably, you know, I I did some I did some really dumb things over the last, months or whatever I, I probably should have gone about this a little differently um and so i think you know i think then i was kind of i was afraid to maybe you know go all in on on you know giving myself every chance to make the team i was kind of i didn't want to go to my coaches and be like hey i don't want to run you know two events at conference um you know i didn't want to like uh you know sort of make that stand um and so i i do kind of you know i regret that and i think that um it's sort of informed, um, you know, just my opinion that, you know, things, there's only so many chances to, to do stuff like this. Um, and obviously it doesn't necessarily, you know, in, uh, in, in some sort of logical way, it doesn't define a career. You know, there's so many, you know, you have so many races and so much training and all that stuff, but in some real way, it kind of does define your career, whether or not you make an Olympic team. Um, and so, you know, we kind of talked about this going about back about a year, and I did some training last winter that kind of was more geared in this direction. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just I started training this winter, and training went really well, and I felt like I was getting in good shape. So we decided, you know, why not give myself every possibility to, you know, make as many teams as I can. Hey, you can't really blame that uh, logic. With the marathon, though, you, know, you do have to sort of adjust the training and, in an email, you know, setting up this call, you said you view uh, Jerry Schumacher's, you know, his workout sort of as his intellectual IP. And, you know, we, I get that. So, uh, you know, not going into specifics about workouts, but sort of, um, you know, have, have you found you got to do longer runs for the marathon? You know, how have you, mm-hmm. how have you found that just in general? I mean, do you like some people just don't, you know, they the 10Ks as far as they go, they don't like the mindset of going out and running a 20-miler or that sort of thing. How have you found the longer marathon type runs? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've really enjoyed them thus far, and I think that was kind of we knew that coming in that the long run was kind of my strength, and um, that was part of the reason why we made you know made this decision. Um, I think in terms of uh, racing, I probably need to uh, need to get into a little more of a longer distance mindset in terms of you know, I think I mean even when I ran that half marathon, I think not that I was you know, going all out or anything from the gun, but I, you know, haven't, I haven't quite developed that sense of just, you know, total, total calm and relaxation at the very beginning that maybe I have when I do, you know, when I run cross or whatever. Um, 
so I think that's definitely a, you know, a learning curve for me. Um, but as far as the, yeah, just doing the really long runs, I mean, I, I like them a lot. Um, you know, and it's something, the long run was always kind of a, a point of emphasis for me, kind of just throughout my training, all, going all the way back to high school. So when do you think you'll sort of make a decision on the trials? I mean, do you think you'll the week of or further out? Or, I mean, are you going to keep it? Or are you just going to kind of, you know, last time uh, Galen Rupp sort of people didn't kept it quiet to the week of the trials that he wasn't actually doing it. So you know, is there a date in your mind sort of where you you make a decision? Um, I mean, I think I think I'll know in the next couple of weeks here. We've got a few workouts kind of coming up. And if if I can do those and come off of those still feeling healthy and good, then then I think – you know, there's, we'll, we'll go for it. Um, um, and if those go badly or beats me up too much and it doesn't seem like I'm going to be, you know, ready to make a strong run for the team, then then we'll probably um, cash in. But I mean, I, I would expect probably two weeks out, we would have a pretty solid idea, you know, provided that everybody, you know, stay healthy and all that, all that stuff. And are you the only male marathoner in the group? Uh, no. Um, just me. Yeah, yeah, just you. Um, well, I shouldn't be the one asking all the questions. Uh, Jonathan or Robert, you guys got anything for Chris? Um, well, one thing I was wondering, Chris, um, you know, you're the three-time defending U.S. cross-country champion. Uh, you know, U.S. cross is about a week before uh, the trials this year. So I guess, you know, are you, are you thinking about doing that as an option if you don't run the trials? Or, and if you do, I mean, do you think, you know, you're going to miss it if you don't run it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't really thought about it too much. I mean, um, obviously, it would it would be kind of it'd be nice to continue having a streak. Um, I do. I think, unfortunately, just with how it shapes up for the trials in terms of who normally runs, um, I think it, it might not be as strong of a year as usual in terms of um, just the field. Uh, obviously, no World Cross this year, and then a lot of with indoors being in the U.S. Um, and then the trials the week the week after, I think a lot of guys who normally would do it might not be there, which is kind of unfortunate because I really like cross and I, I do enjoy that race. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be a bummer to, to miss that, but um, I don't know. I mean, uh, I was an economics major. Life's about trade-offs, so uh, sometimes you gotta you got to face the opportunity cost. Stanford professors will be proud with that one. <laughs> um, oh, we've got a chat thing going here. Is Matt Tegenkamp still training with you guys in the feed? Uh, Matt, Matt's been helping me out a lot. I mean, Matt, uh, I think all throughout his career has kind of prided himself on being able to do workouts and races off of very little training. Um, so he's come out for a couple of workouts and um, kind of thrown himself into it and helped me out a bit. Um, I think he he had a bit of a hip problem in the in the fall. Uh, I'm not sure what his his long term future plans are, but um, he I don't he will not be running the trials. That's not not good to hear. But uh, hey, uh, so this is Robert. I'll finally chime in. Before I ask Chris a question, I wanted to ask you a question. What Weldon when he started the show acted like he had no idea what Chris was thinking right now. I mean. You did compete in these trials twice yourself, Alden. Have you forgotten that? Is 12 years too long to remember? Is your brain already completely shot? Oh, well, some of what Chris said, you know, sort of made brought back sort of memories because I was probably the exact opposite of Chris. 
uh, when I first made the trials in, in 2000, and I never made MTAs. And then sort of in the lead up to the trials, I PR'd at 10K about like a minute and 20 seconds. And USA Today came out with saying like 10 people to watch at the trials. And like, my name's on it. I'm like, my gosh, like what's going on here? And I, I sort of, you know, Chris was saying he didn't want to change workouts around. And I remember thinking like, well, four years from now, I'm probably going to have a much better chance. I, the one thing I do remember was being on the starting line saying like, you may be hurt in four years. You know, there may not be another opportunity for this. Like it was just totally what, you know, Chris was thinking, saying about the Olympics don't come around very often. I was like, you know, just give yourself a chance in this race. And um, I wanted to put myself in attention. Only one guy made the team. Sort of halfway through, I caught up to this group, and I looked around, and there's people way ahead of us. The group had Todd Williams and Rod DeHaven in it, and I'm like, yeah, the winner's going to come from this group. And it was just so hot and stuff. So you know, I, I gave myself a chance and sort of – I think with the Olympics, you, you never know. I mean, look at Chris Linsky, right? Never made an Olympic team. Um, and, and just as amazingly as good as he is. So – and for the the person at large on the street, you know, the Olympics are everything. So it's sort of, um, I don't know. When you start out running, you dream of the Olympics. At least I did. I, I don't know, Chris, like sort of what are your early memories of the Olympics? Uh, I feel like this is where I'm supposed to have a sweet inspirational story. Um, but honestly, I don't yeah. really remember the early, early Olympics <laughs> at all. Um, when I started running, I wanted to get a varsity letter. So. That was my big goal. Um, yeah, I, honestly, I don't, I don't really have much, you know, much memory of that. I think uh, I don't really remember when I thought of it as being a possibility. Um, I don't know. The way I've kind of always approached training, at least, is that you know, training is about the process. Um, you know, each day focusing on what you can do to improve, and obviously, you know, there are parameters to that if you're if you really desperately want something, maybe you take more risks. Um, but sort of, you know, up to this point in my career, I think it's always been a build for the long term, which I think involves kind of more of a, you know, more of a straightforward just putting in work each day to try to get better and then, you know, kind of see where that gets you kind of thing. And then you sort of, at least for me, worry about the big overriding goals and that sort of motivation on race day. Um, when you're trying to get the most out of yourself. But I, for me, the training, I guess, has always just been more of a kind of a process-oriented thing. Um, and I, I mean, a lot of people are different, obviously. You can go, you go around runner, runner Twitter or whatever and see hashtag Road to Rio and people's meditations and all that stuff. Um, you know, some people get a lot out of that. And for me, I, I think uh, that can be counterproductive. I think for me, good training is uh, not too many ups and not too many downs, and that just kind of comes from, you know, focusing on the process. So, you know, the focus is on the process, but do you at the same time sort of think, you know, what type of time or what type of fitness you need to be in to make the team? I mean, I'm not sure what the U.S. debut record is, but it might be something close to that that might, you know, do you think I need to be in 208, 209 shape, or do you not worry about that type of stuff? Uh, I mean, I think I try not to stress about it too much. Um just in that I, I have no baseline of comparison. Um, and kind of what everyone's kind of told me is, you know, the best marathon, you know, obviously I'm surrounded by um, Shlaine and, and Amy and Jerry and, you know, people who have a lot of experience. Um, and, you know, what everyone kind of told me is, you know, don't, don't stress too much about anyone, you know, about crushing any workout or anything like that. Just put in good work day after day and, um, <clears throat> you know, kind of, 
that'll put you in, you know, position to compete. I mean, I think if you look around the country, I think you've got a guy in Dayton who's run 207, but uh, I think has reportedly had some injury problems. I, I don't, I don't know for sure. Um, and then obviously Meds, you know, 208 guy, um, seemingly ageless. And then it's a lot of, and, and Ryan Hall obviously has the fastest PR, but he's struggled as of late. So, I don't know. I mean, if I were looking at it objectively, if I were a betting person, I would, I would bet that 210 is probably good enough to put you in in strong contention. Um, and I think, you know, I think eventually that should be something that's that's very achievable for me. I mean, whether it comes off this one time, I have no idea. And um, you know, that's why that's why you do the training and show up and and run hard and see what happens. Yeah, the um, well, I think one guy you didn't mention there was was uh, Galen Ruff. Robert. I don't know. You were, we were talking about that sort of offline, Robert. Do you sort of want to bring up that question because I thought I thought it was an interesting sort of viewpoint. Because um, in some ways, you guys are very similar. Um, yeah, you know, you're both. I mean, 10K guys making possibly making a debut. Yeah, I, I thought it was strange in the sense of I mean. I was going to ask you about, you know, your your group's relationship with, with or your group, maybe your individual relationship with Rupp. I mean, at some level, it's a little bit strange in the sense of you live in Portland. You're one of the top, you know, the world's top 10,000 runners, or at least the country's top 10,000 runners. Galen Rupp is certainly one of the world's top 10,000 runners. You guys basically have the same employee, you know, in terms of Nike, and yet you're sort of viewed as rivals. Um does that strike you as odd? I mean, if it was any other sport, you'd sort of be on the same team and helping each other out. And, you know, you'd both be on the, you know, Portland Trailblazers or something like that if you were basketball players um, and sort of forced to help each other. So what, what's what's that, you know, I guess what's the latest on sort of the rivalry between the two groups and, and your relationship with, Dave, with uh, Galen? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily super weird. I guess the weird thing is that we're both in Portland. Um, I mean, but we compete for different clubs. Like, you know, Kevin Durant and LeBron James are both sponsored by Nike. They both compete for the United States and literally play on the same team, pass each other the ball at the Olympics. Um, and I'm sure that they have a very uh, intense rivalry, and there's no no one no one would question if they if one wanted to beat the other. Um, obviously, you know, maybe championship or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, um, Galen is a very quiet person, and I, I haven't had too much interaction with him. I think I would describe our interactions as pretty, uh, um, I don't know, polite, not, you know, don't really talk very much. Um, but I, my, my take is that he seems like a pretty private and quiet person. Um, yeah, I'm not sure that I can begrudge anyone that. And do you think you'll end up doing the trial? And do you have any inside info on that? Uh, I mean, I've heard rumors either way. I I, I really don't know. Um, I mean, if I, if I could blow the story here, if I could, you know, break it on this Let's Run podcast, I would. But uh, I don't have – There you right go. So, um, I've heard people speculate who have some knowledge in either direction. And, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think uh, just another variable. Obviously, there's a lot of – there's a lot of guys. I mean, you know, I you know I named the three guys with the, the best PR is kind of, I think. I think. I don't know. Hopefully, I didn't disrespect anyone. Um, but obviously, you know, Luke just ran 210, and then you've got, all, you know, Bobby Curtis who ran 211, and you've got a whole host of guys, um, you know, Ryan Vale and uh, Jake Riley and um, Jared Ward, and it's a whole, you know, whole bunch of guys who have very solid times just behind that. And then, 
Sam Kalenga, I think, um, is going to run. Diego Strada, like you know, a lot, a lot of a lot of people who are going to be debuting. So I think it's a pretty wide open and interesting field. Um, and I think it would be hard to, to to peg anyone. I think if you were going to bet on anyone making the team, you'd probably bet on Med, but just based on consistency over the past however many years. Um, but I think it's uh, it's a pretty wide open and interesting field. And that's you know part of part of the reason why we were motivated to, to try as well. It's just you know, it could be that you know there's three guys who run 208, but it could also be that there's only two guys who could break 210. So we'll we'll, you know, we'll kind of see what happens. And I, I guess one thing we never nailed down with you was how much time do you have to be with us? Oh, uh, I'm I'm free. I'm free as long as you need me. Well, four hour podcast. Here we go. <laughs> um, you know, we haven't even begun discussing ISIS and ah. Donald Trump and Super Bowl and. Um, many who knows what? But if you've got time, um, John <laughs> spoke to Kevin Hansen today, um, and I thought that Kevin sort of had some, you know, he had an interesting way of sort of looking at the trials. Um, so I, let me try to uh, see if I can actually um, play that audio. Here's Kevin talking about sort of how he sees the, the trials uh, stacking up. You're never allowed to count Meb out because. Um, Meb doesn't know how old he is. I don't think. I mean, I'm joking when I say that, but I mean, I, I, he just he he's just still running as well as he did 10 years ago, and I'm so impressed with Meb, and he's such a great ambassador for the sport and things that you know you can never count him out. Um, I've known Dathan since he was um, you know 13 years old, and so uh, Dathan is somebody that I know how damn tough he is, and and it's scary how tough he is. Um, and then after those two, my, my, my people that I think in my mind that are going to be is Jared Ward and uh, Tyler Pinnell, those two. Um, they both didn't make the mistake or get caught up in trying to chase the time during the fall, um, which makes them, I think, a little bit more hungry for the segment, a little bit more so. I think both of those guys are people that, that, that I think and um, to be honest with you, just with me, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not even looking at anybody that hasn't qual- disqualified to a half marathon. So the, uh, you know, it was the last sentence there. I say the best for last, um, and he sort of goes on to talk more specifically about Dathan. But um, you know, he, he's big Galen. on. Uh, excuse me, yeah, Galen. He's big on you know marathon experience, but sort of, I thought sort of his higher level sort of, you know, everyone says the same thing. Like, how can you discount Meb? It's just it's pretty amazing what that dude's done at, at 40 years old. Um, I mean, he's two years younger than me. I, I just can't imagine running like that. Um, but, you know, a guy like Tyler Pinnell, he's not on a lot of people's, you know, I wouldn't say sort of A-list, but it, it's an interesting sort of, I think, look at it. And I think Kevin comes at it, you know, he, his group – really is, has the marathon focus. You know, they have, uh, you know, Bobby Curtis, who's run tremendous at 10K, but sort of I think they approach the marathon a little bit differently than than others. Um, I don't know. Did, did sort of – was his assessment sort of similar to yours? I mean, I thought it was sort of on first glance. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I obviously, he doesn't um... – yeah, you know, I told you know Kevin obviously has a lot of experience with the marathon. 
definitely respect his opinion. I think he's he's definitely right in that people who haven't run a marathon are at a big, um, I mean, maybe disadvantage is the wrong word, but um, certainly at a, at a big deficit. And I think that history has shown marathon debuts to be less spectacular than uh, expected, um, you know, with the exception of maybe, you know, Ryan Hall or whoever. Um, and so I think that's totally right. And I, I think, um, you know, that's definitely, I don't expect to, move to this distance and have it be easy and be the same order as it is on the track. Um, I think that would be, um, extremely naive. Um, but at the same time, I, I think I, I kind of, as we talked about, I, I feel like the risks in terms of trying aren't, aren't necessarily huge and I would like to try. Um, so, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully things can go, can go well for me, but, um, I think, you know, I think he's definitely someone who's been around the sport and particularly the, uh, you know, marathoning for a long time. I think he has a lot of, uh, you know, validity and, and uh, gravitas when it comes to the, uh, when it comes to the things. And, you know, you, earlier you're the, you're the Stanford econ guy and you're talking about the opportunity cost. Um, today it came out, the Boston entries, and Neely Spence Gracie is going to make her debut at Boston. And sort of, you know, the one thing you are giving up by making your debut, if you do it, do so at the trials, is, you know, a huge appearance fee, um, you know, and there's this sort of idealistic side of the sport and people want to make the Olympics, but at the end of the day, it's also your profession. And, you know, how, how does the financial sort of, I mean, do you view it as a financial hit to not to, to, to debut at the trials or, you know, does, does, does that enter into the equation in any, um, any way? Um, I mean, I think that, Certainly, there is a scenario in which that is the case. Um, the scenario being that I totally suck at marathoning, um, and then my only one time to get a good payday from marathoning is my debut. Um, but I prefer to be more optimistic than that and think that eventually I will. Uh, I mean, even if this goes poorly and no one wants to pay me to run their race the next time, that I can go to a race and run well and earn that money in the future. Um, and I, you know, I'm very fortunate in that um, you know I have. A contract and I make enough money to you know support myself and, and save for the future and um, you know to bring another economics term into it there is a, a decreasing marginal utility of income um, so you know past a certain point if I'm making money and saving money in this sport and getting to do something that I love I don't know I think in the long run that money isn't necessarily super important to me um, whereas having the memory of making an Olympic team uh, would be. Hey, Chris. Uh, Jonathan here. Um, one thing I talked to uh, Kevin Hansen about earlier today, he was raving about Jake Riley and saying, you know, he was running a lot of his workouts with Bobby Curtis. They were, you know, preparing very well for the trial. He was teammates with Jake at Stanford. I'm wondering, you know, have you talked to him about his marathon prep? Have you picked his brain at all? And I guess, do you, you know, after training with him in college, do you view him as the sort of guy who uh, is going to be a threat at the trials or his best distance is ultimately the marathon? Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely think Jake's best distance as far as been the marathon. I think uh, what Jake was, is and has always been best at is he just can kind of um, put his nose to the grindstone and just have good day after good day. And um, he's always been someone I think gets the most out of his body on a given day, which is a, um, you know, perhaps underrated um, and very important aspect of the sport. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, we haven't talked too much specifics. I mean, I told him, um, you know, last summer that I was kind of thinking about going on this path. Um, you know, I mean, just because I was in his wedding and stuff, I figured, I figured it'd be kind of lame to like, you know, <laughs> not not tell him show up in LA. Else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, we t- talked a little bit about it, but I think you know, it's. Uh, I think there's there's a risk to having too too many. Uh, mentors in a certain aspect you're talking to too many people um because eventually you know you can't follow everyone's method and everyone's advice eventually you just got to pick something and go with it um and so unfortunately for me you know i'll probably learn what mistakes i've made um after the experience is over but uh there's just a certain amount i think of you can't know what the right advice is until you've actually tried something um and so you know i've tried to just kind of for the most part stick with you know, talking to, to Jerry and maybe a couple other people um, just around me and just to kind of make sure I'm not getting, you know, too conflicting of advice in terms of how I approach things. Who, who apart from Jerry, I guess, has been the most important mentor for you in this process? Uh, I mean, mainly Shalane and Amy, just because they're kind of going through the same types of workouts and just both have lots of experience in marathoning. And, um, you know, Amy's trained for the marathon in kind of multiple systems, so I think she's got kind of good insight on uh, what she thinks works and doesn't work. Um, yeah. And how does that work? Like, do the three of y'all go out and be like, okay, we're going to do a long run today, even though obviously you'd be going faster than them? I mean, you kind of team up with them and sort of for a camaraderie aspect, or or is it kind of uh, separate? Uh, I mean, well, right now we're up and we we're just got up into Flagstaff. Um, so, uh, yeah, we've been going, I mean, doing, going to do workouts together and stuff. Um yeah, for the most part, it's kind of on the same workout days where they're um, kind of going through similar workouts at different paces. Do you guys have any more marathon questions? I think we can sort of, I think after Chris gets up, we're going to take all your time, but, you know, we'll, we'll sort of we can I, I turn to. You know, one, one on, not just about the Olympics in general, sort of, you know, I think before someone said the Olympics are everything, I was wondering, like, w- one of the issues that sort of, I know that, you know, my brother used to experience when he was running full time, like, he'd be on a plane, and he people say, what do you do? And he'd say, I run. And the guy didn't really get it. And then they'd say, oh, have you run a marathon? You know, so they would always ask him if he'd run a marathon, which was kind of annoying when he hadn't run one. But then, you know, their sort of perplexed stares which went away when he told them, well, I'm training for the Olympics. And then they got all excited about that and assumed that he was going to make the Olympics. Um, so, like, when you run into strangers, do they understand what professional runner means? Like, do you have that sort of awkward conversation a lot yourself? And has it helped to tell them that you're training for a marathon? Uh, yeah, I do. I do have that awkward conversation a lot, mainly because, you know, I'm doing things at, you know, like noon that people who have normal jobs shouldn't be doing. You know, like, I don't know, going to get my haircut or, like, just, you know, whatever, doing running errands in Portland. Um, so I think there's also an implicit, like, you're a, you're a prime-age working male. Why are you not employed right now? <laughs> um, and, yeah, I think there's definitely – I always joke that there's, there's three things that you can do in that conversation to earn someone's respect, and that's make the Olympic team, run a marathon, and run sub four. So I've only got one of the three. If I could, uh, if I could complete the trifecta in one day, I think that – would make those conversations a lot easier. Um, but yeah, it's especially like 
I was fourth to trials, but like I've made a world championship team. So I like, try to explain that is so that's not even worth it. Just if they, a lot of times people just say like, like the Olympics and I was good. Like, yeah, sort of that kind of, um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I generally don't try to spend too much time trying to impress people with, with that because they don't really care. Could just tell me you work for Nike. Or... Yeah. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. Well, that's also weird when it's like you're talking to a Nike employee and then they're like, Oh, you work at Nike. And it's like, well, kind of. Oh, yeah, I guess in Portland, bench. everybody works at Nike, so it's... Yeah. Yep. Oh, what do you do? You design the shoes? No, I run. What? Yeah, in, in Portland, well, they have people want to know if, they, if you run, like, hood to coast. That's the big one. If, uh, I, I, think, that, I guess that, besides the marathon, hood to coast is the... Oh, so you do, like, hood to coast. Like, ah, not quite. Nike, Nike used to, you know, put a pretty competitive team in that thing. I think for the... Uh, you know, just to sort of create some interest in the sport and, and bring in the, the casual person. Uh, we want to see a Jerry versus Alberto group at Hood to Coast, you know. Um, oh, I, I'm, I think that, I'm totally in. I think, I think that's what the sport needs. I don't, I don't know if either group has enough people to actually have form a full team, but, you know, that'll be make it even more interesting. Like, you know, one guy just wants to run like five legs in a row. That's great. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not sure it's what, if it's what the sport needs, but I would definitely be down. Yeah. Um, that that you know we we can re- return quickly to the marathon. But my thing with relays is I've been to World Relays the last two years. If anyone's listening, buy your tickets now for next year. It's like it's one of the best track meets in the world. It's my favorite track meet in, in the world. I mean, worlds are worlds, and it's great. But World Relays, like the fans are really into it. It's very simple to watch because there's one event going on at a time. You don't attention isn't distracted. Um, and there's this whole sort of national element that's very simple and people get. But one thing I think they should do is sort of get rid of exchange zones. I don't care if somebody wants to run at 100, if both wants to run 130 yards and the next guy wants to run at 70 or uh, on a 4 by 4 if somebody, if they want to really try to go 450, go ahead, you know. Um, but I think sort of, it, it just shows a lot of things in the sport sort of we take for granted, but they don't necessarily uh, – have to be that way. Um, and so maybe now if we segue off a little bit off sort of the marathon trials, John Roberts, you guys have any more questions, you can bring them back, but sort of a big thing coming out tomorrow is this water report, which, you know, um, all indications are this report's going to focus on corruption you know, at the head of the IWF level, head of the IWF anti-doping. Um, there's speculation also that um, within Kenyan athletics will will be in this report as well. Um, Chris, how closely do you follow the the anti-doping corruption side of things? Um, I, I will admit that I'm not quite as up on this particular cycle um, as I have been in the past. I think part of the reason is that it's just, you know, it's just pretty depressing. Um, I think as an athlete, I think as an athlete, you sort of, when there's accusations that certain people are doping, those are oftentimes in accord with rumors that circulate, you know, travel the circuit. Um, and then there's sort of, and, and so in some sense, while it's it's sad that that comes to fruition, there's also a sense that, okay, the system is working, you know, if someone gets caught, like, 
that that's bad that they were on drugs, but it's good that they are now banned. Um, but this sort of just seems to be all bad, um, in particularly in, in regards to, you know, uh, Co's reactions to it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've heard, I think it was Tim Hutchings who obviously ran in the UK around that same time. So probably knows him and sympathizes with him, but I've, you know, heard him say like, Oh, you know, maybe he's playing the long game or whatever. But I mean, to me, that seems pretty, pretty blatantly, uh, I, I, it seems either preposterous or he's just preposterously bad at playing the long game. Cause I think that if there was a time to use the attention and energy, you know, if, if you've been wait, if you've been in the IAAF waiting for the right moment to clean things up, you know, now is the right moment. Now is the time where you can come out and say, yes, we need to burn this down. Um, and so it sort of seems to me that we just sort of, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss kind of thing. Um, and I'm not, and I, I hate to be horribly cynical about it, but I guess I'm not terribly surprised that you know, with you know him and Boca, you know, guys who were stars in the '80s and '90s before testing was really anything, that they seem so ambivalent about drug use. But that's, I don't know, it's pretty, it's just pretty sad, I guess, in general. Um, I before I, you know, I was, I'm, I'm at least optimistic about the people with who I associate and with American distance running in general, which is kind of. You know, the, the people that I see and train with and compete with most of the time. Um, and then there was, you know, always kind of the knowledge that the testers are probably behind cheaters for the most part, but at least we're trying. Um, but now it appears that maybe we weren't, we weren't even trying, um, which is just, I don't know, it's just disheartening. Yeah, I think you said it well. It's sort of, it is disheartening and, I don't know, me personally, at least in the past, people would say, oh, they're all dirty. And I'm like, no, I you know, I know some athletes. I think they're clean and that sort of thing. And they're like, well, they cover up the test. And it's just like, it's too complicated. You can't cover up all the tests. And I, I can't believe I was sort of naive to think that. And I think Co, if he was on this call, would say, oh, look, we caught them. And I'm like, maybe eventually, but you were trying to cover them up. And not him, but sort of the head of the organization, his old previous role. And just, if anyone i don't see how you get to that level of authority and think that sort of it just it just shows if, if they're doing that for drug tests what else were they you know using for personal gain um i'm you know very sort of personally depressed but i i try not to sort of you know get totally down on the sport but tomorrow's going to be a very big day i think sort of just hopefully i don't know we gain some insight and hopefully i hope somehow there's going to be something yeah, good to come out of it. Um, but I, I'm kind of, it is sort of a dark period of the sport. Um, but I guess the good thing is testing is way better than it's ever been. I mean, like you said, with Co and Bupta, they didn't really test back then, or it was, um, you know, I've heard rumors of a, there was at the Olympic trials and they brought everyone to a room and they said, all right, if you're in this room, um, you know, you got, you got three months to clean it up. Uh, you know, the Olympics, we're not going to let this go. So we're, we're, I think we're a long way from that stage, but maybe we're not. Uh, Robert, John, you guys have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, one thing I was going to ask, Chris, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to, you know, fix the sport entirely because uh, I don't know if anyone's capable of that right now, but, but is there a change or two that you would like to see implemented in the sport um, that you think would make it better? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, 
I guess the one optimistic positive thing you could say is that you know people tend to respond systems tend to respond to crisis i think if you look at politics and stuff like that those generally it's the crisis that becomes the wedge that causes the change um so i guess the question then sort of is who has the authority to make that change and what sort of system can you put in place to affect that i mean the bait and the you know there's such a huge winnowing process in terms of getting on the IAAF council and all that stuff. And that power just sort of seems to pass from, you know, in a very nepotistic, is that a word? Um, Whatever. There seems to be a lot of nepotism in terms of how that power passes from generation to generation, which I think makes it hard to change, to change that, you know, to have broad sweeping things. It's not as though you can just, elect some guy who's never been in a federation, um, you know, to, to head the IAAF, which I think is kind of a problem. Um, I think you're also just, you're just running into the problem too of where the, you know, bureaucracies eventually tend to exist to perpetuate themselves. And I think if you look at those emails, like the most charitable way you can interpret them is to say that, okay, is to say that these guys who are just really worried about the image of the IAAF and the sport, but they're kind of missing the forest for the trees. They're kind of, you know, they don't want to have to deal with a crisis, so they're pushing things aside. Um, and I think that that's sort of, I, I, it's, I mean, the one thing you, you could see would just be handing more, more and more power over to WADA, um, since seemingly they seem to care, um, which is kind of the first step to making a change. I mean, I, it, it, there, uh, people do still test positive and get banned, which is good. Um, I mean, this isn't necessarily like the NBA where no one gets caught doing anything, um, which is, I mean, having some people get caught at least shows that something is working. Um, and obviously, you know, I still believe that most athletes don't want to cheat, and you can still make a moral choice even in an immoral system. Um, or in an ambivalent system, um, you know, if you're surrounded by the right people. Um, you know, I I still don't uh, subscribe to the everyone's cheating kind of thing, but it certainly does make me, um, yeah, it certainly is, I guess, yeah, disheartening. The level of, you know, com, you know complicity and apathy at the top. I guess, I think everyone's, I mean, I haven't, it's weird. I'm a little bit like you, Chris, in the sense that I haven't followed I don't know all the details of this most recent scandal as I should, but it hasn't depressed me. Maybe I'm just so used to it in the sense of, I mean, they are, they are busting people. I mean, look, the Olympic women's 1500 meter champ was busted. And I, mean, I guess, I mean, even look at Shobakova. I mean, she was paying hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes and they ultimately, she still tested positive. So they actually offered her her money back or some of it back because they said, you're going to test positive. So I think at some level, even that's they so ethical, could cover. Right? Yeah, right. That's so, a definition of ethics, I think, right there. I mean, who knows? But um, I will recommend to people who are listening that they follow Chris Derrick on Twitter. I'm not a big Twitter fan, but I, I do like your Twitter account, Chris. And I think it was a couple months ago. It is one of the key aspects of my childhood, and apparently I'm not the only person who's felt this way. The ticking clock in 60 Minutes, that used to depress me more than anything in the history of the world. So for those of you who don't watch 60 Minutes, it's on Sunday afternoon after the football is over. 
to show in America there's a ticking clock. And I always thought, shit, I got to go to school tomorrow. Apparently, you even thought that in college. I mean, I, that's it was more like yeah. a junior high thing for me that really depressed me, but it still brings back bad memories. To this, to this but, day, whenever I hear that clock, I wonder if I've done my math homework. Yeah. Like, so what is it? Someone who's, I'm only a year younger than Chris, and uh, I had the same exact memories growing up watching football the late game. So uh, I can empathize with that as well. Chris, are you, you a guys football even know what fan? A, what a, you're, you're tweeting out about the Jets this weekend. Or do, you, or do you have an NFL team? I mean, you're, you're an Illinois guy, so... Uh, yeah, so I, I was actually I was born in New York. That's where my family's from. So I am a Jets fan. Um, in the in the I guess Sorry about that. I know, yeah, in the in the in the lineage of my father and my mother, um, which is a sad, sad thing. Um, my parents have done a lot of great things for me. Many, many great things. Shout out to my mom. Love you, mom. Hope dad. Hope you're feeling better. Um, but one of the things that, that was not so great that they did for me is they made me a Jets fan. So. Um, a, a heartbreaking, very Jets loss uh, a couple weeks ago. It was yeah, a, it's, it's a good. It's a typical way for the Jets to sort of, uh, you know, snatch defeat from victory right at the end of the season. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's you, really like what you beat. You beat the Patriots, right, and then lose to the to the Bills. Yep, it's only when you're at your moment moment of greatest despair that they will have any success, and then once you have any hope, they like to just crush that. Which would you I mean, rather, if you were forced to miss the Olympic team, would you rather finish 10th or 4th at the trials? Uh, 4th. Uh, so you always want to do better than worse. Oh, well, that's good. Then you should appreciate the Jets had a pretty good season. They they had a big big improvement. And, you know, this was their well, 2012, sure. and, and now, you know, next year can be their 2016 for you. <laughs> Well, I please don't please don't tie my athletic career to the fate of the Jets because that's going to doom me <laughs> for for life. Uh, do you uh, do one you of have the a Super Bowl pick, Chris? Sorry, do you have a Super Bowl pick? Uh, I don't. I would bet probably on the NFC the winner of the NFC at this point, winning over the AFC. But I don't know. I think. Uh, I would probably I would I would think Panthers or Cardinals would be my would be my bet, but I don't know. I think football there's a high level of parity. You're dealing with one game, there's a lot of randomness, so anything could happen. That's my cop. Yeah. And yeah, sort of you know we're talking about non-running subjects, but when when I was running full time, I joked I only could run about two hours a day. Sort of you know what do you do to fill the time? What are some of your other interests outside of running? Um, yeah, I mean, on a good day, um, or what I would consider a productive day, I spend that time, you know, reading or, you know, playing guitar, cooking, doing something useful, productive, some sort of skill building activity. And on a non-productive day, I'm probably just mindlessly flipping through Twitter, um, which I think is sort of the, I don't know, it's, it's a great irony to me if you, especially you look a lot on like runner social media, there's a lot of like, stuff about the grind and dedication and blah, blah, blah. And it's like most people are at 1 p.m. on a Wednesday or either taking a nap or watching Netflix or, you know, <laughs> reading Twitter. Um, so it's, uh, I guess it's, I guess you require a certain level of discipline, but also it's pretty much just a part-time job, which is, which is pretty sweet. Well, yeah. Have we, talk, 
have you thought of a post-running career for yourself? Would you like to stay involved in the sport as a coach? You seem like a smart guy. Or Actually, I have your SAT scores in front of me. I was, we were looking for your phone number earlier. I found the email you sent me in May of 2007 when I was coaching at Cornell. So. <laughs> How did I do? Did I do, did I do well? Uh, yes, very, very good. Can I, can I, can I, can I violate your, uh, what's it called, the Clary Act or whatever it's called? You had a very sure, high yeah. GPA. Ranked third in his class out of 1,016 general people. This kid is quite smart. And the best part <laughs> of the email was, P.S., Let's Run is awesome. So, I did, I, I, yeah, I was a big fan of Let's Run. Yeah. I, I will admit that I, I don't was a big fan that much anymore. <laughs> well, I, like, I, I still read the front page, but I, I, stopped, uh, I stopped reading the message boards when People I knew started getting talked about. It just it made me too angry. I couldn't. I wasn't rational enough to deal with it, so I had to stop. We have a we have a new filter, and they're only allowed to say positive things about Chris Derrick. So it's, <laughs> Chris Derrick is awesome. No, see, but you also have to say bad things about people that I hate. So that's it's it's gonna be too tough. Uh, well, you go to okay. talk to you hate. Folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's kind it's of like nice talking about the Jets, right? With it's the lightness without without darkness. So, you know, if yeah. only positive things were said, you know, then people would say, hey, this isn't positive enough. Yeah. I mean, I, I, think, uh, I, I think people might construe, construe that comment as being anti-message board or fan or whatever. Um, and I don't, certainly don't mean it that way. I think, you know, I, I talk about football or whatever all the time, and I spout my opinions, and I'm sure they have very little basis. You know, I, I don't have a lot of, like, concrete knowledge to go off of. And that's kind of the nature of things, right? You're speculating about people you don't know. And um, I sort of realized that, like, I, you know, I, I don't know, once or twice I read something, like, negative about myself, and I was like, hey, that's, like, this guy doesn't know me. Like, that's garbage. Um, and then I sort of realized that people who said nice things about me also didn't know me. So what was the void of that um, as well? So I think it's just kind of I, – I just don't think it's a productive thing to – at least I'm not mature enough to like hear the opinions of people who don't know me and like just start to decide. So I just try to avoid them generally. And get the, that's a good way of doing it. I don't think Bill Belichick's, you know, reading pro football talk forums, uh, caring too much what people are saying about him. But, um, well, I think Chris, we really appreciate you for your time. Um, it was great for you joining us, you know, and uh, we'd love to see you at the trials. The Olympic marathon trials are sort of the genesis of let'srun.com. Like, I quit my job for four months to train for them and had time on my hands and sort of kind of like, what am I going to do in the moments I was being productive? Thankfully, there wasn't Twitter or Facebook then. I'm like, hey, I'm going to start a website. And sort of Let's Run came about from that. So it's sort of, uh, for me, it's my favorite event. But, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see you on the starting line there. Um, I think we're going to use the rest of the show to sort of talk about and, the women's side of things. But I guess you can give us your predictions for the women, right? You can predict all the women in your training group. Uh, yeah, well, obviously, Shalane and Amy will make it, no problem. They're great. And, uh, you know, who cares about anybody else, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I do think, Chris, you have one before you go. I think you got it all wrong. I, I, I as someone who ended up not being good at the marathon, I think the, the – being your debut marathon, if it ends up being your debut, is a good thing. You're naive about it. You're not beaten down by it. You know, some people. You said a lot of people don't have a good marathon debut, but then then their second marathon is going to be even worse because they're going to fear it. So, you know, it's a it's a tactical race. All you got to do is run with the pack, and then you know try to do it over the last 10k. So, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm too I'm too dumb to know any better. I, I think that's a good I think that's a good way to put it, and I think that's a good way to to end my session. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and, and instead of making your marathon announcement on Twitter, we'll have another podcast with you. It'll be pay per pay per listener. We will give you like eighty percent of the proceeds. You'll announce it live on the podcast. <laughs> okay. You just have you a one nine hundred number. Yeah, one nine hundred number. Actually, let's go. Yeah, that's what we'll do. One nine hundred number. Which, I was reading NCAA manual. Did you guys know that it's illegal for a high school recruit? Apparently, this is in NCAA manual. Uh, high school basketball players were setting up phone numbers that were one nine hundred numbers, so that when coaches called them, they were having to spend like two or three dollars a minute to speak to them, and then they were taking <laughs> the profits. It's a genius oh. plan, actually. Wow. We limit the calls. Good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Next time we'll have a one nine hundred Chris Derrick number. <laughs> Yeah, well, I I think we can afford to give that that information to the people for free. I don't know. Well, I don't know what you, what you guys feel. Opportunity cost, okay. cost. Chris, you gotta you gotta think about that. You gotta think about your future. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. It'll all work yeah. out. That's Stanford Hubris right there. Um, you know, no, in all seriousness, we really appreciate you joining us. And best of luck at the trials if you run them. Um, if not, you'll probably be there anyway, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, don't don't let anybody say anything bad about me on my side. All right, here we go. Filters are in place. All right, you guys. appreciate it. Thank you. We we need to. Uh, one of my resolutions for 2016 is to do these podcasts more regularly, maybe even once a week. Um, but so right now, the round of applause uh, sound feature that we don't yet have would be going off to. Thank Chris for his time today. Um, but I thought that was, you know, very insightful. Robert, John, where do you think we should turn? Should we turn quickly to sort of well, talking to the women's trials, or do you want to discuss Kevin's comments about sort of uh, debut marathoners and Galen Rupp? We have some of that audio well, as well. Yeah, I think, we I, should think that's, I think that's probably um, – Let's let's go there quickly because I do think that the most interesting thing I got out of the conversation was his thoughts on Galen Rupp. Uh, you know, he said that he wasn't really counting anyone who uh, qualified through a half marathon as a threat to make the team, but you know, obviously if Galen Rupp decides to run, he's only qualified through a half. It was you know not your typical half. He ran 61:20 basically solo uh, against you know a bunch bunch of back of the Packers in this low-key race in Portland, which, you know, not all half marathons are created equal. So I, I did want to ask him about that. And Well, now I don't know if you can queue up the audio on that, but I thought his response on Ruck was probably the most interesting thing he said. So uh, it'd be good to hear about that. Okay. We got two segments. I think this is the first one. Um, only way to find out. We'll hit line one here. I think, it, I think, I think that it would be, I think that that people may be surprised. Um, I would I would ask this. Um, my, my my questions are simple. Um, I don't think anybody sees them. People thought that Mo Farrow was going to run 206 and 205, um, and uh, that didn't happen um, in his debut on a London course um, with rabbits that were hired specifically for him to take him through um, whatever pace he wanted. And um, I don't think that Galen's as good as Mo Farah 
and so anybody that would be predicting anything faster than Mo Farah, I think, would be un, totally unrealistic with him in a situation that doesn't have any rabbits, doesn't have any, and is a race situation. Um, yes, that was the first part. You know, he focuses a lot on sort of the rabbit situation, which, you know, it just shows his sort of, he's a very experienced coach. He's had great success with, you know, Desi and Brian Fell making the Olympic team. Um, and a, you know, a rabbited marathon race is, is definitely, um, you know, different than a non-rabbited one. Uh, and there's a uh, part two here, sort of, where he just continues on after John, after you followed up with him. Here's that. Go back and look through the best debuts by an American in a non-paced race and try to figure out what that is. And I, I know that there were Pacers for Hall's 208. I know there were Pacers for Culpepper's 209. I know there were Pacers for um, uh, the 210 for Brett Gotcher. Um, so you start going through and you're going to say that everybody thinks that somehow without Pacers for him, he's going to be six minutes better or something than every other American that's ever took place in the event. And I don't see it that way. Uh-huh. Hello? Kevin Hansen. So the Hansen Distance Project. Yeah, I mean, John told me about that call earlier today when I was talking to John. For those of you just joining the podcast, Jonathan Galt interviewed both Desi Linden of Hansen's Brooks Program and, and Kevin Hansen. And we just showed you the clip from Kevin. But I totally disagree with that. I mean, uh, to me, Rolf is a lock for the team. And, and, and one name at, at first, as I was listening to that, I was like, okay, what, you know, debut marathon. And then somebody hit me. Is it hitting you guys? It's an obvious name, a big name, incredibly successful in his marathon debut and very much associated with Rupp. Who am I talking about? Somebody help me out here. Alberto. Alberto Salazar ran 209.41, according to Wikipedia, at the time, the fastest American debut. You know, so he ran 209. In New York, which is hilly, I assume they didn't have rabbits. 36 years ago, Rupp is way better than Salazar ever was. Um, to me, Rupp's a lock for the team if he shows up in those trials. I, I mean, I guess there's a chance. Maybe, you know, I mean, with Farah, my thought was the guys run 328 for 1500. Maybe he's not made for the marathon. I guess Rupp has run a, what, a 350 indoor mile or something ridiculous like that. But to me, I still think of Rupp as the kid that couldn't kick in high school. So I always thought he was going to be good at the marathon. I don't know how he's gotten that speed. But, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting thing, though, to think. You know, I mean, I think as we talk about the team, do only big names make it, super, super talents, or is there some sort of long shot guy? But to me, I think if Rupp's on the start line, I'm putting him down number one as my most biggest lock, even though he hasn't well, won it. What about, what about you guys, John? I. I mean, I don't know if I – I don't feel as strongly about it as you do, but I, I, I would have to pick him for the team. I would say, you know, if, if everyone who's hinted at it or, you know, everyone does it who we think is going to do it. Um, so basically I'm saying, like, if Derek does it, if Ruff does it, and if everyone who's entered does it, I would take Ruff on my team. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess you could – I don't feel comfortable putting him at number one, but, again, it's like, you know – Matt's going to be, you know, he's 40 years old. And Brits, you know, he, he, there was recently an article came out yesterday on MLive.com. looks like 
you know, he he seems like he's in pretty good shape, and that injury, that he had some hit by side but he's mostly over that. So I, I think those guys, you know, uh, but they're, they're going to be on the team, I think, if they run well. But Ruff, I don't know if I can really say he has stronger or less chances than them. It's just there's so much unknown. But he's just, I don't know, an Olympic silver medalist at 10,000, 61.20, and he didn't look like he was even trying. I I can't imagine that if he runs the trials that he wouldn't be on the team. Yeah, I think he'd make it as well. I mean, anything can happen. It's almost one of those things. I think he's probably, you know, like maybe first where he just, you know, he's not in the top three. Sort of one of those. Right. And, um, and personally, so I think, well, I mean, I, I think Hanson's made some good points, but to me, when you look back at the Ferrer race, to me, the fact that it was London and he had his own set of rabbits, I mean, to me, that was harder. It would, he would have been much better off if he'd been in a race with no rabbits. He's a very competitive guy, run with the pack, and then try to outkick him. But there, he's like, well, I'm not ready to run 204, whatever they went out on that year. So we try to run something. You know, Alberto's a very scientific guy. Tried to not run something way over his head, and then he was sort of running a no man's land. Whereas at the trials, you know, Ruff just can run with the pack. If they go out in 66, that's going to feel like a jog for a guy who just ran a 61 and wearing a long sleeve t shirt. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I do think there's the psychology of it all. He's got more time to think about things. You know, maybe you know something goes wrong and they can get in your head. And or I, I do think sometimes a marathon's never going to feel easy. So I do think the first timer's going to, you know, like, oh, how should I be feeling? Oh, I don't feel great. Well, so what? Maybe the person next to you doesn't feel great. So you maybe don't realize, you know, there, there's definitely some negatives there. Um, and, and I kind of hope that we don't just have three super talents on the team. I'd like to see, you know, everybody wants to see one long shot make it, but, you know, I, I went back today and looked at the last, you know, three Olympic trials, you know, look at the men's side. Kislevsky, Hall, and Abdi made it in 2012. Rich was fourth. 2008, as someone said to me, wrote me the other day in Let's Run an email, yeah, Sell was the long shot. So, you know, Hanson Brooks guy, he made the Olympics that really made the program at the time. That was a great story. And he did. It was Ryan Hall first, Ritz second, Sell third, who beat former world record holder Khalid Kanuchi, who was fourth. So that was a fantastic showing for Sell. But someone emailed me this week and was like, look, Sell's not even a rags to riches story if Meb wasn't hurt that year, because Meb probably would have made that team. And then 2004, you got Culpepper, Kaplowski, and Brown, three of the bigger names there, also made it. So, you know, it's it's kind of been you, – you sort of almost have to be at, at a certain talent level um, and I, I, I just think that the Tyler Pinnells of the world are going to have a tough time. Um, you know, I would like to see some rags to riches guy make it, but sort of, I mean, nowadays, you know, it's like a long shot is somebody who's, you know, people are talking about Diego Estrada on the message board as a long shot. I'm like, he's not a long shot. He ran a 61 minute half marathon. He's a 27, 30 guy. <laughs> he's quite right. fast. That, but even that shows how good that run by Rupp was. I mean, at the Portland Holiday Half, he runs. Never seen a guy run a sixty-one twenty or sixty-one whatever it was with just long sleeve shirts. You know, Derek ran that. I think it was the same weekend or weekend before. Ran a, no, a couple weekends before maybe. Or I'm confusing the dates anyway. But you know, Derek ran sixty-three something. Assume I'm just kind of assuming a similar type effort. Chris Derek's a phenomenal runner. You know, he's not even in the long shot category. you got to put him 
give him a decent shot if he runs the trials and you know he's top 10 world cross guy so um that type of talent so it'll it'll be interesting uh for sure but you know kind of as you said usually the the top guys are the ones who, who who make the team um and then you got guys like abdi who's trying to make his fifth olympic team and there's one guy we haven't even really mentioned and that's uh ryan hall which is crazy um and let me play some audio. So Ryan ran at the Dallas uh, half marathon here in December out in Fort Worth, about 40 minutes away. And they had the greatest um, conglomerate of American talent ever this year at one starting line. They had two relay races, and it, they had, like, you know, Matt Centrowitz, Leo Manzano, Ryan Hall, uh, Abdi was on the starting line, uh, Molly Huddle, Dina all in one starting line, Robbie Andrews. I'm sure I'm forgetting some people. Um, but it was sort of a great chance to sort of talk to people. And Ryan didn't even run the half marathon. He ran the Texas Relay Dallas Mavericks Relay with the shorter guys, the short mid-distance guys, the Centros and the Halls, I mean, Centros and Leo. And they finished ahead of him. And Ryan you know, said, like, oh, okay, I didn't even bring racing shoes. Uh, but then I asked him about you know, essentially said, well, are you doing the Olympic trials? Because at that time, it was a little over two months out. And uh, here's what he said. The Olympic trials, are you still shooting for that? I mean, yeah, yeah, still on schedule, um, still training. So, yeah, doing that. And then um, also helping Sarah, which has been really fun and excited about her fitness level. She's in, like, amazing shape right now. So that's the first part, you know, just sort of Olympic trials. And he's, I mean, Ryan's a laid-back guy, but almost the first thing he's out of his mouth saying, yeah, yeah, I'm doing it. But then he sort of talks about how he's, you know, helping his wife train for it, and she's doing the trials as well. And I think she's, you know, more likely to finish higher than he is. And then he continues on. It's been fun. To, I've been on the bike for some of her workouts, kind of coaching her through it. But do you think you'll be ready to compete, or do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm training as best I can, and give it a good good run. And you've had sort of I don't know, medical problems or yeah testosterone stuff like Yeah. You know, when was your last good race? Probably been a couple of years. It's been a while. It's been a while since I've really hit it hit it well. Yeah, so yeah, I've definitely had my shirt the last four years, but um that's part of life. And I remember before the last Olympic trials I also was struggling. So you never know, you know. As a runner, like you go through everyone who's run a long period of time can relate to the ups and downs of it, you know. So just uh, you ride out those low times and just keep trying new things, keep figuring out what your body needs and how it's going to respond to certain training, certain nutrition, all that stuff. So I've been doing my best to like remedy as much as I can and uh, get myself feeling good again. So that's Ryan Hall in his own words. Um, I think, you know, one, you know, when he said, oh, it's been a while since his last good race, I, I, we, we need to look that one up. Um, it's been at least a couple of years. Um, but uh, I'm curious what your guys are. I think we should turn to the woman here quickly. But sort of what your, you know, predictions are for Ryan. I'll get it started. I don't think he runs the trials. I, I think that he is a, it's a repeat of what he did in the L.A. Marathon in last March. And he's and in Yeah, I mean, I've been the biggest Ryan Paul fan there is. I mean, to me, the people that say his career has 
not been good or ridiculous. I mean, this guy, look at his marathons. It's absurd how many good marathons he's had. He's basically had, you know, I, mean, I forgot. I had this stat. It was like a quarter of the sub-210s in U.S. history or something. I mean, it was quite good. A 204, 208, 209, 206, 208. Um, you know, he's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He's got eight times under 210. Um, I, I don't think he makes the team, John, but actually John's comment about the March LA race. I mean, he went out with the leaders. I, I, that would thrill me just to see him up there. Give me, make it inter, in, interesting, entertaining. You know, he, I don't think he's going to go out and go out in 520 pace and try to run 218 and finish 20th. So I, I just hope, uh, I I totally written him off. Finally, I was refusing to give up, and then finally, just fall. I just said he's not going to make the team. I mean, everybody said I was stupid. So, but you know, even if he's up there for five miles, that'll be enough for the thrill for me. Um, yeah, I t- but, yeah. I, I take I, back I, I, don't think- I want him up there too, kind of like what you said. I mean, he, I think his marathoning career has been phenomenal, despite doing nothing the last two or three years, um, or since the last Olympic trials, but. I mean, and I do. I love he, to see him up there. The trials is about the drama and the hope and the wish, and that's sort of all we start this sport. So I'd love to see him, I mean, you know, give it a chance. And he's just such a sort of—he's struggling. And he can't figure it out. And, and talking to him further, uh, that video is up on YouTube. If you go to the Let's Run dot com account, um, you know, he, he was just saying like how I was like, well, you compare yourself to your old workouts and. He essentially said, "Like I just now go out and run on the trails, like and dust stuff on there where it's untimed, and he can't compare himself. He's just trying to find it that way. He doesn't know what his medical issues are. Um, he's found other priorities in life. Him and his wife. I mean, it's amazing. They adopted an entire Ethiopian family, and sort of, you know, they they have a family of their own now, and brought these kids who didn't really speak English over here, and you know, they're from the oldest ones are teenagers." So it's sort of – fortunately, Ryan's got other things going on that are more important in his life. And so I think it sort yeah. of can help sort of, you know, ease him out of the sport. But I, I would love to see him not go out of the competitive side of the sport. I'd love to see him make the team. I just don't think it's feasible. Yeah. I mean, you made some good points there, Weldon, about the family. I mean, there was an interesting thread in Let's Run the other day. But remember when Atheist was, had a negative connotation – now it's like, remember, you know, nowadays, if you say you're religious, it has a negative connotation. To me, that's a joke. I mean, this guy has been, he and Sarah have both been great for American distance running. Paul has had an incredible career, and he's done, he's done a great things for this family. He's a religious guy. I, I think that he should be praised for both his on and off the track activities. And, and the amount of criticism he gets actually bothers me. So, I mean, American society, you know, we're, 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 praising the Kardashians of the world who are having out of wedlock children and <laughs> society's backwards. But when I look at his career, I mean, it somewhat reminds me of Salazar. I just think his, he trained so hard. He ran so hard. His like system is shot his endocrine system, you know, and that's just the way it goes. You train that hard. You, you only have a few good years. Um, you know, I, I think Alberto's now found sort of a chemical way around that so that people can, have longer careers or not have the downsides of, of, of training. I'm not, I'm not saying in a legal way, perhaps it's, you know, you know, the, you know, there's a scientific way, I guess, to try to avoid that. But, um, you know, it's not unusual. People act like, Oh, he's a head case. I'm like, no, look at that. He's had eight, nine good races. Um, and you know, you never know if you catch magic in a bottle. I mean, I think it's hard to fake it in a marathon, but 
you know, I, I do tell people, and Weldon 2003, we dropped Weldon was running the 10,000 of the U.S. trials. His training had been going horribly. He had run the B heat at Stanford in the 10,000. We dropped Weldon to warm off, to, 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 dropped him off to warm up, and I turned to our friend, Iron Mike, if you're listening. I haven't seen you in 10 years. But, um, you know, and we, we turned to him, and he said, how do you think he's going to do? And I said, I don't even know why we're here. And it ended up being one of the better races of Weldon's life, and he got fourth in the country. So, you know, who knows? That's why they run the race, you know. We can't put it all down on paper just quite yet. Um, a lot of people, John, is Tim Ritchie still training in Massachusetts? A lot of people in the chat box have been have been talking about him. He ran a fast half, I know. How fast was it? Um, have you heard any, any rumors about his training? Uh, yeah, so it's interesting. I live in Brighton, Massachusetts, and Tim Ritchie, like, I, I don't know specifically where he lives in Brighton, but I know he lives here. And uh, I was thinking of doing a story on him when I was home over Christmas break, and then I saw the Boston Globe had actually, like, the next day published this feature on him, um, which was a pretty good read. And, yeah, he ran, you know, I think it was 61.37, I want to say, uh, for the half marathon. I'll try and confirm that at the Philly half marathon. But, you know, it was a great solo run, uh, a lot faster than what I think anyone expected out of him. But, you know, stepping up to the marathon, I think it could be more difficult for him. It was 61.23, in fact, uh, for the half marathon, which, you know, incredible time, obviously. But Max is out at about 70, 75 miles a week. Um, most of his, all his training's done at about 530 to 540 pace. Um, I think those are his easy days, and then obviously his workouts are faster. I just, you know, I think he's a talented guy, and I think that that approach can work for the half marathon, but I just don't see... I think you have to be outrageously talented to um, make the marathon team off of 75 miles a week, and uh, I don't think that, you know... I'm talking like, you know, Mo Farah, yeah. kind of level to uh, well, do that on that kind of mileage. So I, I don't see that, making the team, but he's an interesting name. That's a great point. I mean, if you look at his, you know, he's got a 214.50 marathon PR. He ran that in 2013. Now, he did that when his half PR was 62.29. So he already had a pretty good half PR. So you take a minute off his half, you know, well, let's multiply that by two and take two minutes off his marathon. You know, so then he runs 212.50, maybe a little better, 212.30. That's probably not going to make it. So, yeah, I mean, I think I actually, I think after I got the email about him, I, I Googled and saw the 75 miles a week, and I just I just thought, this can't be right. But apparently it is true. I, I would tell him, Tim, it's obviously done great to get that half, but slow down and run more if you're trying to run the marathon because you, you need to try to hit triple digits if you can. Um, but, John... Um, well, well, do you have anything else to say about that? No, I think we should turn to the women and we could do predictions. So we're going to have definitely have another marathon trials preview show before the trials get here. So okay. I think it might be a little early for that, but we haven't really talked about the women yet. And John, well, before to... we talk about the women, let's, let's talk a little bit more. John, what did Kevin Hansen say today about, uh, 
Bobby Curtis. I mean, I think Curtis is a name. It's, I mean, I don't know why he's viewed as a long shot. I mean, he's run, what, 13, 18, and 27, 24. So he's basically not quite as fast as Chris Derrick at 5K, but faster than at 10K. He's run 211, right? Yep, 211 in Chicago, 2014. Um, so what, yeah, what, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. What, what did Kevin say about his training? Did he? Yeah, so I talked to him. He was very optimistic about um, Bobby Curtis. And as I mentioned um, when we were speaking with Chris Derrick, Jake Riley has actually been – he said Jake Riley has run every step of his training with uh, Bobby Curtis. They've been working out together. So he's very optimistic about both of them. But, yeah, Bobby, you know, he's a guy who's an NCAA champion at 5,000 meters with, at Villanova. Um, very talented, obviously. And I think one of the things, you know, I was talking with Kevin about is his transition from the track runner earlier in his career. He'd run one marathon, uh, 216, prior to joining Hanson's uh, in early 2013. And then he ran Fukuoka that year, I think, around 214, and then Chicago in 211. And basically – Kevin said with that first one, you know, he had joined the group. He knew Hanson's reputation as a marathon group. And, you know, but he still wasn't entirely, I think he wasn't entirely sure. He didn't, you know, he sort of questioned a couple things. He didn't buy in 100% Hanson's formula. But he, you know, he saw a decent, you know, an okay result, but 214 from a guy who's around 2720, you would, you would hope for a little bit more. So then the second marathon uh, in Fukuoka in 2013, you know, he, he got a little. He got faster. I think he believed a little bit more in the. Sorry, his second marathon, Chicago, um, which was 2014, he ran 2:11, and during that build-up, he got faster. He sort of believed in the training more, and this at this point, uh, Kevin said, now after two full marathon cycles, uh, Bobby fully he fully buys into the system. He knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, he's gotten stronger as well. So Kevin said this is definitely, you know, every cycle that made progress and gains of fitness. So he's thinking that something, you know, even better than that uh, race in Chicago last fall. And ultimately, you know, he said he felt feels like both Bobby and Jake Riley can be sub-2-10 guys in the future. Um, it's just a question of, you know, when they're going to get there. I think Bobby's obviously the guy who's more likely to get there sooner than Jake. And... You know, it's not inconceivable that he could do it at the trials. He's one of you know, several guys who's going to be running, uh, who has a legitimate shot to make the team. And one thing that Kevin also told me about it is he's glad he didn't run a marathon uh, last year. You know, they basically said either run a marathon in the fall of 2014 or the spring of 2015, pick one of those, and then we're not going to do another one until trials. Because he feels that coming back from a marathon – in the fall, even if it was an earlier fall one like Chicago in October, it's just going to be a little bit more difficult. You know, you're a little bit behind the eight ball with recovery. So he was glad they didn't run a marathon. Curtis did, you know, he ran U.S. Cross. He made the World Cross team, so he was happy about that. But, yeah, Kevin was very uh, optimistic about Bobby's chances. Yeah, I mean, a guy like Bobby... He's got the talent to do it at 10K. Um, and it is sort of interesting how, for whatever reason, maybe because he's not having success on the track, I sort of forget about his talent. But, um, you know, that's foolish to do. As Robert's favorite phrase, talent doesn't go away. Yeah. Well, we, we've been talking for almost an hour and a half now, so we should run through the women quick, quickly and then probably try and wrap this up. you agree? 
Yeah, I mean, I think of the women, obviously, I think everybody says that if they're healthy, Flanagan and Desi Linden are, are locks. I mean, they basically have at least 10 seconds, they're 10 seconds a mile better than everybody else in the field, almost 15 better than most of them. I mean, except for maybe I mean, Hastings, they probably have 15 seconds a mile on everybody. I mean, a 13-minute man doesn't lose a 5K to a 13.45 guy. I don't see how they lose if they're healthy. Yeah, I, I yeah, agree. I agree 100%. So, John, you, you spoke to Desi. Did she – is she healthy? How's the training going? How does she sound? Um, and, and, you know, you, you shared some insight off off the show with me about her. I thought her, her approach to the training was was quite um, well thought out. Yeah, I mean, basically she's just – she's – been there before with this you know she uh had a little bit of a cough injury at the end of the track season last year so she had the scratch she was going to run the 510 knack decided not to do that and uh she ended up it ended up being a bit of a blessing in disguise for her i think because it forced her to ease into her build up in the fall and to not come back too aggressively and you know her, her mindset is just be patient and that she's still got one more month of training, which is going to be important because there are several hub workouts still in there. But overall, you know, she's she's down in Florida right now. Um, they're doing warm weather training uh, right up until the trials. And, you know, not, not she's in very, you know, very good place. She's not the uh, most vocal person, but she also, you know, she's quietly confident for sure. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, I think that's basically where our mindset's at right now. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Um, Desi was one of the group of American stars who came to Dallas for the uh, duo to Rio relay. And essentially the men went first, and it was like, you know, Meb, Abdi, Sam Chalinga, a few other guys, and they all handed off pretty close to each other. So then the women... Um, Sort of, it was Becky Wade, Dina, uh, Molly Huddle was there, Annie Bursagal, and Desi. Um, they all sort of decided to group up, and it was sort of a lot of people were taking it sort of a tempo run with a race at the end, or sort of, you know, it wasn't necessarily a competitive deal. But um, so eventually, all the women grouped up, and not Desi. She stayed. She never caught up to them. She just she just let them go. She stayed behind them and sort of ran her own thing and um, essentially she just told the other woman, like, you know, I know, I know what I'm doing for my training. I'm doing it. Um, and, you know, the <laughs> organizers were, were, were fine with that and sort of I, I applaud that mentality. You know, she was focused on the bigger goal and didn't want to let anything distract that. And, you know, at the same time she goes down to Dallas and can make some promotional appearances for the race and for Brooks and, you know, that sort of thing, but, you know, and help sort of grow the sport a little bit in, in this area, but, you know, she doesn't want to do anything to jeopardize her Olympic chances. But, um, so I, I guess, you know, the big question after assuming something doesn't go wrong to Desi and Shalane, it's, you know, who's who's got that number three spot on, on the woman's side? That's what everybody wants to know. Um, the, the, the two... Most obvious choices, I think, are people who who have done it before, and that's Dina Castor, American record holder. She turns, I think, 43 
the day after the trial. So um, it's going to be a, a big weekend for for Dina, uh, no matter what. Um, and then the other uh, the other person is, you know, Kara Goucher, who you know, a medalist well, on the track at ten thousand uh, meters, and I think great success in the marathon in the past. Well, I think you're make, missing the third obvious person who's also done it before as well, and um, Amy Hastings, Amy Craig. Um, yeah, but I don't think she's you know quite at, quite at that at that level in well, the past. Got, of, I mean, but she's a lot younger than they are. She's run. Through 2703 in this build-up, she's the second fastest, third fastest person based on marathon qualifying times. Dina's ran 227.47. To me, Amy Craig is is very. If I was the other girls, I'd be scared of her because she, now she's she's joined Nike. She switched over from Brooks. She's training with Shalane. Um, the fact that you know, I mean, you know, Kara and Shalane when they were together, they were so good, and now. You know, Amy's replaced Kara in that group. So, you know, and, but Kara's coming back with Coach Wetmore. So, yeah, I, I think probably uh, I would put Caster as more of a long shot compared to Craig or or Goucher. I, I would say that Craig or Goucher are most likely to get it. Um, but it, it's, you know, I, I think, you know, uh, most likely the three spots go to previous Olympians. Yeah, I shouldn't have been as dismissive as I think Amy as I was. You know, she wasn't Olympian in 2012. I guess she hasn't had the success in the marathon as the other two is what I was thinking. Yeah, she is younger, she and she's much closer to her, to her peak. You know, it seems like there's – with running, there's sort of two questions. One, what's your absolute peak? And two, how close do you come to that on, on that day? And her current peak is much higher than uh, – or I don't know if much is the right word. It's definitely higher than Dina's and uh, um, Kara's. You guys there? Yep. Yes. The, um, um, yeah, I mean, unless you go with, you know, I, I just think a big talent is going to take that third spot, and I'm assuming that Molly Huddle's not going to run it. Um, you know, Kim Conley, I don't think, is going to run it. So people like that, you know, the, the, the people that are sort of making these teams on the track that just maybe make it a 26.2, um, you know, probably aren't going to be them. But, John, why don't you talk a little bit about Desi's training? Because if you go to the L.A. Trials website, you guys can look at it at the course and it's basically a six mile loop that you do four times out and back. And there's a lot of turns on this course. I mean, I'm counting one, two, three, four, five. I mean, there's probably eight 90 degree turns on it. And then there's one 180 degree complete turn on it, you know, that you're going to do four different times. I mean, this thing is full of stops and starts. It's almost going to be like, you know, they always say a lot of times a marathon is for a rhythm runner, but this is not going to be a great course for a rhythm runner because there's going to be a lot of starting, a lot of accelerating. You know, someone who was good at the steeple, which is a short event, who likes that break in the rhythm, you know, 
might have some sort of benefit here. Um, and that definitely has caught the attention of, of Desi, right, John? Absolutely. And actually, um, you know, speaking of steeple, is one one woman who might display place of that strength is uh, Sarah Hold because you know she's you know not as experienced in the marathon, or maybe doesn't have the, quite the top end talent as some of these other women, but she's basically excelled on a number of surfaces. You know, she's run well at, in cross country and the steeple. She's basically run every event from 1500 to the marathon. So, you know, maybe maybe that helps her, but. Yeah, the course, as you said, Robert, basically, you know, if you just the USC section alone has a lot of times. Basically, it runs from the LA Live area to the start to finish down to, you know, USC's campus and then back. And Danny wasn't really worried about the USC area, even though there's a lot of times there because, you know, they're not as severe. There are a couple, you know, 90-degree times, but she wasn't totally worried about that. What she did say is, you know, she said definitely going to be a factor is the 180-degree turns. And there's going to be four of them near the start-finish area, and then there's another one in the opening 2.2-mile loop at the start of the race. And those are going to be rhythm breakers. You know, for for someone like Desi, I think she'll be able to handle it, but it it will be interesting, um, especially with how often those turns happen. And Kevin Hansen also said he thought that was going to be important that you know they get used to that aspect so you know i think runners the marathon is preparing for this race you know if, if there's a way to simulate that in training maybe you know you're doing a tempo workout maybe instead of just doing a straight eight mile you do a four mile out four mile back and then turn around 180 degrees real quick because then, then he did think that was going to be an important part of the race yeah, I mean, I think you're used to running an autopilot in a straight line. Here, you've got to stop, put plant your leg. I mean, I would take that turn as wide as possible and not, you know, run an extra 20 yards every time just to, you know, so your legs don't cramp up. And I assume it's hard for me to follow the course when I look at it. I mean, John, are they going to do that right before the finish as well? Like, is that right before the finish, or do you run straight into the finish? It's you know? looking like, I mean, it looks to me like, you do it before the finish. All right, I'm trying to actually, I'm trying to figure it out. It's, it's not entirely clear to me that the arrows are pointing in a way that you would think they do it straight to the finish. And if that's the case, I was also thinking, even on the penultimate loop, you know, you, you get to uh, 20 miles, and especially 26 miles in the marathon, you have to make a turn like that. You've got stuff aching in your legs. You've got a, you might have a cramp or something. And if you land improperly or just, you know, something like that, it's going to be a place where people make a move. It's maybe where you feel a little bit more stressed. And if that, you know, we'll have to look into it closer to the race, but if that's something that's coming up right before the finish, if someone's battling for the win or for that third spot, uh, that's going to be a very, very important area. You guys are looking at this on latrials2016.com. Where, where are you finding this course? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, hard to find. It's not you got. It's hard to find the close up. I'm gonna post um, it right into the chat box right there. If anyone wants to click on it, it's interesting because the last trials they definitely had at least one 180 degree turn. I think they had four loops, so it's probably done four times. Um, but I would have hated that personally as a runner, and I think it shows something to the, you know, how the the Brooks Hansen team really understands the marathon that they're specifically training for this turn because I think that's I mean, it's that, you know, you figure, oh, whatever, everybody has to do it. But, no, it's going to mess up your rhythm. I assume sort of even sort of 
you know, if you're coming to a stop, starting back up again, sort of the, you know, how you're burning energy and, and that little brief moment uh, changes. And so you want your body to be used to that. Um, and a guy like, I don't know, maybe it'll favor a cross country runner or something like that. So I think that might be good for somebody like Chris Derrick. Um, you know, Galen Rupp uh, traditionally isn't that good of a cross country runner, except for the one NCA cross. Um, so I think something like this is something he just doesn't want on a, on a marathon course. Um, so, you know, a little intrigue and it, you know, the one thing, uh, I'm surprised you could design a course with just 90 degree turns, but you need to lease those at the very least to make a course for hands. So, um, this almost going to remind me more of like a, I don't know, a transition zone and a triathlon with people stopping and sprinting and getting going again. It'll be interesting to, to say the least. Did Dina, excuse me, John, did Desi, you know, did you ask her at all about any of sort of the other competitors and how she views the field? Yeah, so Desi, you know, she didn't want to discount anyone um, because, you know, obviously if you don't mention someone, they're going to have that motivation to come back to you. I mean, I don't know. Everyone's going to have the motivation to make the team, so it's not a big deal. But um, what she, you know, she mentioned uh, Kellen, Kellen Taylor, who uh, ran well last year in Houston, 228. She mentioned uh, Brienne Nelson had a good pull. So a couple, you know, outside of, I think she was going for a couple of women who were outside of the, uh, the big names like her and Shalane and, and Cara Goucha. And then, um, you know, I asked her about Dina and just was she amazed that Dina is still a viable candidate to make this team. She's, you know, going to 43 years old in a month and she said you know if you look at her age it's kind of you know she'd say no no way is it someone who's turning 43 going to be on the Olympic marathon team but and then she was just like but once you know it's Dina and you just see everything she's accomplished you know it makes perfect sense uh, that she'd still be running at a high level so th- those are the people she mentioned um, and then uh, Kevin Hansen also was very he was saying that I think people are underestimating Cara Goucha and that he said people especially underestimate her toughness. And uh, I have been hearing, you know, a couple other runners or, you know, articles I've read recently. It does seem like Cara is going to be in pretty good shape. So I think, you know, people, uh, she's now getting on people's radar that, you know, obviously everyone knows Cara's talent, but she just hasn't run a marathon, as a successful marathon in a while. Uh, but yeah, I think people are starting to realize she's a real threat too. Yeah, um, Kara ran the rock and roll half in, in San Antonio in December, and uh, Andy Craig, who's with Brooks, uh, she actually now you know is training with Shailene Flanagan, even though they, they have different sponsors. But they decided to get together and both train in Portland. They're training together, and they're both there. And oh, well, um, Andy's now with, with Nike, Andy switched. Oh, she has switched. Yeah, well, I didn't know that was envy or what. So I guess that sort of precipitated that the contract was coming up. I th- thought that might be the direction she would go. But um, anyway, you know, it's an ex- experienced group, and uh, I sat on the press truck next to their coach uh, Jerry Schumacher, who's Chris Derrick's coach as well, and sort of, you know, they were content to let um, 
Kara beat them, you know, in this race, and they just took it as a workout, uh, ran a good tempo, and they were a little earlier in their preparation than Kara and, um, so, you know, so it was just sort of, you know, an interesting way to see it. But, you know, come to, at least in December, you know, Kara was in as, as good a shape as, or in better shape than, you know, obviously this race might have been a little bit different, but she's got farther to come from. But she showed in December, at least, that things were going in, in the right direction. Uh, as for Dina, um, she was in Dallas as well. And I, I, I talked to her about sort of, you know, how she, how she decided to do the trials because she's worked with the LA Marathon in the past and sort of been their ambassador. Uh, you see a big ASICS race. And um, here's what Dina said about uh, doing trials. I didn't want to do the trial um, right after I finished Chicago this year. I just felt like this year, yeah. like that was my. I, I now it's my time to get my teammates ready. But in getting them ready, I trained them every day, so putting in the work, I might as well toe the line. And I really love being part of this. I'll stop the audio there. There's some background noise, um, but essentially, she said, you know, after Chicago. This year, where she ran very well, she's like, uh, you know, I wasn't going to do the trials. And I found that crazy because she did so well. But she said, you know, she was pretty much done with it, and then, you know, reassessed and thought it'd be good to, to, uh, you know, give it a shot. And she's sort of like the, uh, you know, almost a mother to her training group. Before she was just going to focus on helping them, possibly make the team. And she's like, you know, I might as well give it a shot myself. So. Uh, it's a great story that, you know, her and Mev are out there, you know, it's masters runners trying to make the team, uh, you know, even Abby, I mean, he's gotten all, but no male has ever made five Olympic, five Olympic teams. So he'd be the first guy ever to do it in the U S. Um, I don't, I don't think he can totally be discounted. He ran well in Dallas. He was, um, right there with Meb. So it, it'll, it's going to be so good, you know, all the way, all along, and um, both the men and the women. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to have this show is just sort of start priming the pump, get people excited because, you know, we're one one month from the day. Uh, you're going to know your Olympic men's and marathon women's team. Uh, Robert, what, what are your thoughts more so on a women's race? Well, I think it's going to be big. I'm just really excited about it. I mean, it's going to be a really amazing race. I mean, I think the fact that Dina – I mean, come on, she didn't make it four years ago. The fact that she wasn't going to do the trials, I, I mean, she could make it, but I think it's a real long shot. Um, I've lost the, the chat box, but so all the questions that I did see and they were gone, unless you, you all can see some of them, there's some good questions. But one person's like, why is the trials in L.A.? What do you think of that versus Florida? Because the, they said the Olympics are in Rio. But I think what one, people need to understand is Rio in August is not that hot. It's not going to be a sweltering humidity pile of heat most likely i mean it's fall there for them so um you know i i, I there was some controversy obviously in picking la but you know i'm fine with the trials being there um i'm not a real big fan of the fact that both races are basically going off at the same time i like to have a gap um you know between the between the races a bigger gap um I just hate when races finish together. But one of the things that I like about the uh, trials versus what you see at the these major marathons in the U.S. is the, that the men are going to go first, so the gap will be getting wider between the two between the two races, um, not smaller. I forgot what the gap is in the start time. I'm trying to 
find that. Um, somebody had sent it to me recently. I could not find it on their website. LA people, if you're listening to this, you need to put the, uh, there it is. Um, so the men's race starts at, uh, so the men start 16 minutes before the women, 10.06 for the men and 10.22 for the women. So and the men, let's say they run 210, the women run 225. So they'll finish, that'll be 15 minutes. So there'll be like a 30 minute gap between them. So when the men finish, um, you know, the women will be at about mile 20. I just wish they would add in, like you're closing down the streets for three hours. Let's just add in another 15 minutes. I know that there's TV worries, but even, hell, don't even turn on the NBC. You know, instead of starting at 10, start the men at 945 you know, and start the women at 10.22. People don't need to see the first 15 minutes of the marathon. Then there would be a huge gap. There would be a 45-minute gap. So the men's race would finish. We could focus on that. And then the women would be coming, you know, right up to the 30K mark. And then we could see the whole women's race play out or the significant parts. You know what I'm saying? It, it drives me nuts how you're watching these major marathons and you're inevitably missing the break because they're either interviewing the win- men's winner or something like that. But, um, it's going to be a fantastic day. I mean, I, just thinking about all the big names and um, I think particularly on the men's side, with the, you know, the Chalangas and the, the Bobby Curtis's and Derek's and all these rups, you know, guys that, that haven't run marathons before. Um, it's going to be quite exciting. We, we have a guy in the chat box saying they always say it's not going to be hot at the Olympics and it's always hot. Um, that inspired me to sort of look up the weather in Rio. And uh, actually, the weather in Rio is pretty constant year-round. The average high in this August, 78 degrees. The average high this time of year is like 86. So, um, I mean, 78 is not atrocious, but with some humidity, uh, you know, I don't, and sun, you don't want to run, run a marathon in it. But, no. uh, um, I, I, you know, people ask why it wasn't in Florida. So it's pretty simple. Florida didn't submit a bid for the marathon trials. It, it came down to Houston and L.A., and, you know, as much as we just want to put the trials in some nice location, you know, it costs a lot of money to do that. And the athletes need to be paid. I think there's about, you know, roughly a quarter million dollars in prize money on each side. So um, if you can't, you know, get, get get everything in line and get the financial resources necessary to do this, you, know, you, you can't host the trials. So I think LA is going to be great. Um, Houston did a tremendous job. and. Um, I'm, I'm personally looking forward to being out there in a month. I'm pretty amazed on, on AccuWeather. They have a detailed forecast from February 13th. Apparently, we can expect thunder showers. <laughs> LA, weather, Rio. It's, it's yeah. out of LA. I'm amazed. I didn't know that the weather. They, it, <laughs> I didn't think they could predict it five days in advance. And apparently, they have a um, Los Angeles, California. <laughs> weather map here for it's like predicting a lightning strike it never rains in la there you go ladies and gentlemen a let's run.com exclusive it'll be raining february 13th at the olympic marathon trials um well you know between now and then uh we'll have the sort of indoor track season you know getting kicked off um we'll have super bowl 
John, good luck on that one. Huge New England Patriots fan. Yeah, but, uh, for a repeat. You know, but um, do you guys have any parting thoughts before we sign off today? Well, I kind of view the Patriots as like the Clusey after 2012. They need to be able to have a good season this year. Wait, 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 last... Robert, Robert, we won four Super Bowls. McCluthy has one yeah. gold medal. What more do you want? Well, you want to prove that it wasn't because of the play of football. There's now questions about the past performances. So Tom, Tom Brady ripping through the league for the first half of the season this year, that wasn't enough for you? I'm just giving you a hard time, John. Just giving you a hard time. I'm actually yeah. a huge Tom Brady fan. And I'm a little bit torn. I'm in this. I'm in a survivor pool for the playoffs, which is quite hard because you have to pick teams. You don't want to pick a team that you think is going to win the Super Bowl this week. So I, uh, if Brady makes the Super Bowl, I will, I will root for him. Um, so should be interesting. But the you know the biggest thing between now and the trials occurs tomorrow. I think there's no question about it. There's going to be nothing bigger the next month. And that's the World Anti-Doping Report on Corruption at the IAAF. Um, it's going to be all hands on deck at let'srun.com. So we wanted to give you guys a little inspiration today before, who knows, maybe we're all super depressed tomorrow or maybe we're encouraged because the sport's getting cleaner. Um, but, you know, I, I think tomorrow's uh, – personally, you know, it's depressing to me, but I think uh, – this independent investigation is a good thing, right? Like, we weren't surprised that all the Russians were doping. We already knew that. I think that the level of corruption surprised me. Um, and maybe the, with that extending into to Kenya get, gets depressing. But, you know, the drug testing and track and field, it's still hands better than anything in American pro sports. So, um, you know, I, I think this can only lead to a cleaner sport. and uh, you know, that, that's one thing I want. You know, at one point maybe we should have somebody, let's run dot com uh, fan Malcolm Gladwell on, and he's all for the legalization of, of doping in sport. And I think it's just a terrible idea. I think it's the end of women's sport. But um, you know, we can have that discussion another day. I think tomorrow is a huge, huge, huge day for the sport. Um, you, you, any, I keep saying any parting shots, but John yeah. Roberts. 30 seconds well, this, on, on, uh, tomorrow? I mean, I, I think we should end the show quickly because last time it was like 3 in the morning, right? So they still have not sent us the call-in number, so I don't know if I have to get up at 4 a.m. I need to go to bed pretty soon if I do. But, I mean, I mean, Dick Pound said there would be a wow factor tomorrow's allegations. So I, I do think this could blow us away, I mean, surprise us. Um, and I just – it's weird. I'm almost, like, looking forward to this, like, Christmas. I mean, I think that we're at the point now where we should be celebrating these types of things. And, you know, the, the people should be – you know, USATF should almost be excited when they catch a cheat from now on. So hopefully the tide has turned. I mean, it, it, I think it's going to be negative publicity. But I, I, for some reason, I'm trying to be positive. Again, as I said to Chris Derrick, I mean, look, a woman paid hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of bribes, and she still tested positive. So um, there are some – positives for some reason maybe i've just gotten so tired over 15 years but you know i'm not going to predict on what's going to happen i don't know we might as well just wait about 12 hours and we'll find out yeah i'm with robert i think that's a we'll find out tomorrow and then i can give you an informed take i'm not going to speculate on stuff i don't know about yet it's a good way to do it if we start doing these podcasts regularly we need to have sponsors so i'll give a sponsor plug to generation you can 
I actually have some cool audio, which I need to find. Um, Dathan Ritzenhain and Epikovetsky both use Generation UCAN for fueling. It's a better better energy source. Um, you, you get energy without the sugar spike, essentially. And I had a video with um, Varun of Generation UCAN saying how Ritz contacted them on their own and said, hey, I want, I want to start using your product. I've heard about it. I've had a lot of problems fueling. And so they gave the product to Ritz, and then you know that led to a sponsorship where they now pay Ritz. Um, but it's a product worth considering, and they're a supporter of Electron.com, and they have a new uh, – I used to only have a liquid drink sort of powder, but they now have uh, energy bars with special, their special sugar in it, which is exclusive to them. So if you're looking for a better way to fuel, consider checking out Generation UCAN. Uh, if you use code Let's Run, I think you get an extra 15% off. But um, sponsor plug last, last, so all the tens of thousands of you guys still listening. We appreciate it. So does Generation You can. John, Robert, um, I hope we don't have to get up at 4 a.m. Anyone who, if anyone's listening to this is worth WADA, can you please uh, give us our sign-in call for the call um, tomorrow? We, we, need, we need that information. But uh, a big thanks to Chris Derrick for joining us. Thank you, John. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, everyone out there in Let's Run.com Nation. Uh, it's going to be a fabulous 2016. We're looking forward to it. For Electron.com, this is Weldon Johnson signing off. Thank you. We do want to apologize for all the Mike Rossi fans for not predicting him to make the team. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.